Good morning, everybody. I hope that you are ready to dig into Romans. Um, I'm going to do my best. It is a heavy, heavy book. Um, And so if you'll open up, I'm going to be hanging out in Romans chapter 1 for a little bit, and then Romans chapter 3. And if you're so bold, I'll ask you to even open up to James, because we're going to hit on that a little bit as well. Um, uh, This book, man, you know, as I looked, uh, uh, many pastors take years to go through this book. It's that rich. Um, One English Puritan, Thomas Drakes, said this, that Romans is the quintessence and perfection of saving doctrine. Martin Luther, in which this book completely transformed his life, back in 1522 when he wrote the Institutes, said that this is the purest gospel, the book of Romans. And so inside of it, there is not a better New Testament book that describes the gospel to the fullest. There's no other book that compares to this book that Paul wrote. And uh, I'd like to read first in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, that book is, by most scholars, uh, these two verses are the key verses of the entire book. And uh, the reason why I wanted to start off with that this morning before we dig on in in chapter 3 is because I had the opportunity to last week attend an EFCA, which is the Evangelical Free Church Association. Um, uh, They had a seminar that was on the history of the EFCA and that was on the theology that the EFCA holds. And it was a privilege for me to go there. I had to read three books before I went. I only got through two and a half, but um, it was great. I was there for two hours on a Friday night and for eight hours on Saturday last week. And uh, it was rich. And the very first thing that the speaker's name's Greg Strand said was that this is the foundational passage for the EFCA churches. I thought, Wow, isn't that interesting? I'm preaching on Romans this week. I think maybe I should at least make mention of it. And so I thought, man, okay, this is good stuff. And I just wanted to bring a a few highlights to you as as we go through this. Uh, Paul highlights the gospel and answers three questions. The first question, he says, what does it mean? The second question, he asks, what is it anyway? And the third question is, what does it do? Well, the first question, what does it mean? Uh, Well, uh, it's a proclamation. When when Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, he is stating this with emphatic, just, getting it out there. 
He's not quietly whispering it. But he is boldly proclaiming the truth that he is not ashamed of the complete salvation that is available only through Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. And what is it? Well, we see right there in verse 16, it is the power of God. One, one commentator put, it's the supreme power of the Almighty. I was like, man, I, I like that. And then what does it do? What does the gospel really do? Well, the gospel provides a right standing before God to those who trust in him from start to finish. Each individual must accept Christ by faith, and each must live their Christian lives by faith. You notice the being who was talking about where our, our salvation starts, and then the next part when it says we must live our Christian lives by faith, that's the practice of, of what we claim. When we put, uh, first put our trust in Jesus as our personal Savior, we are saved from the penalty of sin. That's what that word justification by faith, or justification, but that phrase justification by faith means. We're saved from the penalty of sin. And we're going to get back to that. But as we live out our Christianity in obedience to Christ, we're saved from the power of sin. And that is where we see this big theological word that's sanctification by faith. And after the final judgment of the wicked and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to experience salvation from the presence of sin. And that big $50 word for that one is glorification. So we see these three things here. We're saved from the penalty of sin. We're, we're saved from the power of sin. And we are saved from the presence of sin. Of sin, And that's what we get right here in just these two verses. We have a whole gospel for the whole world that covers whole persons, everybody, throughout their whole lives. The gospel, though, requires a response. Some of you in here, that response might be for the very first time that you would come to a point where you will put your faith in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. You will put your trust in the fact that God the Father had a plan, and only by his plan could we be saved from that penalty of sin, which is death. Some of you in here are wrestling with that right now. Doesn't matter if this is your first time at church. Doesn't matter if you've been coming here for years. You still are wrestling with this. A couple weeks ago when, when Tom challenged us with the Holy Spirit and that nudging, you're fighting that right now. That's between you and God. Others of you are, are wrestling with, okay, well, how do I live? I've already put my faith 
in who Jesus is, but how do I live this out? And you're being nudged. Some of you are being told one thing. Some of you are being encouraged to do another thing. See, I, I can't stand up here and tell you, well, here's how you apply this, and, and I'm only going to give you um, one certain thing. Now, I'm going to tell you in advance, at the end of this message, I am going to challenge you. But it's because I could only choose one thing. And honestly, not many of you, that'll be a challenge to you. And that's all right. Because God's working in each of our hearts in different ways, right? So, how we respond, that determines our destiny. I want to transition because uh, there, there's um, five uh, phrases that we get from the Protestant Reformation. Okay? Again, I'm trying to put into practice some of the things I've learned before, but also been reminded of last week. And, uh, you know, a gospel centered tradition. Th there's these phrases sola scriptura. I know some of you know what that means. That means by scripture alone. And there's another phrase, sola fide, and that's by faith alone. And then there's sola gratia, and that is by grace alone. Next is solus Christus, through Christ alone. And finally, soli dea gloria, and that is glory to God alone. These are key terms for us to understand, at least, at least to be wrestling with. By Scripture alone. By faith alone. By grace alone. Through Christ alone. And glory to God alone. Max Lucado in his book, in his grip of grace, writes this. We can summarize the first three and a half chapters of Romans with three words. We have failed. We have attempted to reach the moon, but scarcely made it off the ground. We tried to swim the Atlantic, but couldn't get beyond the reef. We attempted to scale the Everest of salvation, but we have yet to leave the base camp, much less ascend the slope. The quest is simply too great. We don't need more supplies or muscle or technique. We need a helicopter. God has a way to make people right with him. We'll see that in chapter three. How vital that we embrace that truth. God's highest dream is not to make us uh, rich, it's not to make us successful, it's not to make us popular or famous, but God's dream, it's to make us right with him. Don't forget that. That's his dream, is that we would be right with him. If you would, Go ahead and open up to uh, chapter 3. And uh, I loved how in this video, 
uh, you know, they were able to show that not only were the Gentiles, but it was also the, the Jewish people. Gentiles were guilty, and, and he points out, and even the Jews, they were more guilty because they had the Torah. They were still messing up. And so we come on over and, and we see in chapter 2 how God's righteous judgment is going to happen. And, and yet in chapter 3, we, we dig in about God's faithfulness. Now in the beginning part of that, um, many of you who are familiar with using the book of Romans to help lead people to Christ because you can just take some different verses and fit them right on in to show people, hey, where they're at. In in chapter uh, three, verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And it says in verse 11, or 12, all have turned away. There's nobody that can do it on their own. A lot of people trying, right? But, then as we hear about that, we, we get to verse 21 through 26. And these six tightly packed verses, uh, one commentator, Leon Morris, uh, wrote that it may possibly be the most important single paragraph ever written. So if you have your Bible, man, highlight around that, draw lines around it, do something, because this is powerful stuff. Follow along as I read. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus Verse 25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In verse 21, it starts off, but now. Two little words, very powerful. Because that marks a shift in Paul's focus from the old era of sin's domination into the new era of salvation. But now, God has intervened to inaugurate a new era and all who respond in faith Not only after the cross, but if we were to take the time and see in chapter 4, and we saw in the video, but also before it. Remember the example of of Abraham? It says, was declared righteous by God by faith. By faith that he trusted that God was going to do what nobody had ever experienced before. A guy who was well past his years, but especially a wife who was well past her years, who had grown up barren, which was just such a mark of ridicule for people in those days. And yet, by faith, it says, 
he was justified. He was declared righteous. Paul is insistent that God is righteous in justifying sinners, both Jewish and Gentile. And he shows three key factors in this passage. The source, the source of our justification is found in God and his grace. This justification comes to sinners uh, freely by his grace, it says in verse 24, that they're justified freely by his grace. If we're to be justified at all, it, it must be by God's grace alone. And next week, uh, we, we might be digging more and more into that. But the second factor is the ground of our justification is not in ourselves, but it's in Christ Jesus through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, right there in verse 24. Jesus is the God-man, and he acts as our righteous substitute, bearing our sin and the death that it deserves. Again, just like the Passover lamb was, just like all the other ways in which the, the Jewish people were to come and offer sacrifices before God. They would lay their hands on the animal before they killed it. And it was a way of saying, okay, here's my sins. They go on this animal. And then that animal was killed. That was the sacrifice. Powerful, powerful actions. And you and I, we're, we are, are, are justified solely, solely, by God's grace. Because that saving work of God comes through Christ alone and not on the basis of our own deeds. The, the source of our justification, the ground of our justification, and finally the last one, the instrument of our justification. And that's gotta be by faith alone. And three times in the passage, in verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 25, through faith in his blood, referring to Jesus. And in verse 26, it says, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And faith is not our contribution to the saving work of God. Once you get that. It's not our contribution. It's simply the means of receiving it. Do you get that? Because if you don't, then somehow you're going to feel as if you're still earning your salvation. You're not. It's just the means, the means of receiving it. Uh, one author in a book, Evangelical uh, Convictions, writes, Faith is not a meritorious work. It is a beggar's empty hand. I love that, that picture. It's a beggar's empty hand. Say, I believe. 
It's a thief on the cross. Will you remember me? Our faith rests on the righteousness of another and only Jesus is the one who could be completely fully righteous. Now this is all about salvation. All about salvation. But some of you might be wondering, because I'm sure at least one of you are, uh, well, what about James? You know that part where it says faith without works is dead? What's that about? Well, we can look at that really quickly. If you want, turn to James chapter 2. And um, I'm only going to be reading a, a few of the verses, 14 through 17, but there's still more that, that packs it in there. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and, and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Well, our, our are Paul and James teaching two different things? I mean, that was a big debate back when I was in, in school. But the truth is, not at all. They're not two, teaching two different uh, doctrines at, at all. Paul's focused on what God does and our faith in him. James is focused on what we do as it proves the very faith that we claim give you two different words, orthodoxy and orthoproxy. Uh. Orthodoxy, very simple. That's correct beliefs. That's correct doctrine. That's believing what is correct and true. That's what Paul is doing in Romans. Orthopraxy is correct practice or action. And so you bring these two together, that's what forms an incredible faith. Works does not save us. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. But works prove that what we claim we say we believe, we really believe it. And there's a lot of churches that are dead today, and there's a lot of churches that are dying today because there's a lot of people who are claiming, I believe in Jesus, and who are the same people they were way back from the first time that they ever accepted the truth of who Jesus was. Folks, if there's no change in us, something's wrong, powerfully wrong. If we're the same people today that we were last Sunday, something's wrong in us. Now, you can disagree and argue and fight with me, and you can send me emails or texts, or you can do whatever. That's okay. I'm just telling you flat out. Our mission statement of our church, why we exist, to glorify God. 
How do we do that? By making disciples. That means we're preaching the word and we're helping people to understand what that means and we're trying to help them grasp and grow in their belief. And then it says, by accepting people unconditionally. Ooh, that makes some people feel really uncomfortable. Ooh, what if that means there's going to be people in here that I'm not comfortable with? Well, that's awesome. Too bad for you. But that's awesome. But we don't stop there. We don't just, yeah, we want to unconditionally accept people where they're at. We don't stop there. Why? The rest of our mission statement says, while encouraging a transforming life in Jesus Christ. That's not just for the person who first steps into our church. That's for you and I. And I think a lot of, a lot of us have forgotten that we're still in process and we give ourselves a pass more than we should. Today is Orphan Sunday. That's something, the second Sunday of the month, um, uh, that's uh, of November, that's when churches around the country are highlighting Orphan Sunday. And uh, it was birthed uh, in, in Zambia. In 2003, during the height of the AIDS crisis, a Zambian pastor pleaded for his congregation to care for the AIDS orphans in their community, and the members of the church were poor themselves. But as the service ended, one after another stepped forward with money, food, and other goods. Some even removed their own shoes and placed it in the offering box. Powerful. This movement to care for orphans uh, spread throughout Zambia. And in time it reached the United States where now the Christian Alliance for Orphans, they are, are spearheading that. And um, today hundreds of churches around the world unite to remember the orphan. See, James, we read chapter 2 in chapter 1. It's a powerful verse for me. And guess what? That's why I chose this today. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. To visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, we've had... Uh, Started with my parents, and uh, they had a place in their heart to say, we want another child. And so they reached out and adopted me. Um, we've been blessed to uh, have biological children of our own, but uh, surely I felt that God was still calling us to provide a home for others. Um, we've been a foster home. And uh, please understand, I, I say this 
not so that you can think like, oh, wow, isn't that great? I, I'm not. It's just this is our story. And, and this is why it's powerful to me. And we've also been blessed to uh, be given the opportunity to parent Miles and Drew. And we were blessed to get them when they were infants. Uh, so living out this verse is kind of a, a life verse uh, for Shirley and I. And I believe for our kids. Um, so why do I share this? Well, you know what? Instead of giving you a ton of different ways of doing something, I just wanted to kind of break it down and see if you could follow along with me. So possibilities for putting your faith into action. Devin, go ahead and, and, and put this next slide on up. Um, our church, as I wrote this, um, we, we involved in Operation Christmas Child. We had 140 boxes come in through the benefit concert that we had last Sunday. And, and I think we're going to be at close to 200 boxes. Okay? That is uh, outstanding. I, I'm, I'm super excited that, that our church has stepped up in that way. Not everybody did that. that that's, it's not about trying to make people feel guilty. There's going to be things that only one person is going to be involved in. But again, I'm trying to present ideas that maybe the Holy Spirit might be nudging in you. Um, Angel Tree is going to start up next week. An Angel Tree is a ministry that helps make Christmas happen for a child or children whose parents are in prison. Now, some people might have the attitude, well, that's too bad for them. Their parents, you know, sinned and they committed a crime. They need to pay the price. And it's like, wow. Wow. I, I really hope that you listen to the Holy Spirit if you have that kind of attitude. But I'm hoping, I mean, Lori's going to be having names on the tree, and I'm hoping that they're going to be snatched up. Just gone. That's, that's another step. Operation Christmas Child, we don't know who these boxes are going to. Angel Tree, we might at least know a name but we still don't have a relationship with them. But sponsor a child through Reach Global. Reach Global does a whole thing on how we could sponsor children. And there's all kinds of other ministries. Some of you already sponsor a child. The goal is not to make people feel guilty. Oh, God, I'm sponsoring a child. Oh, it's going to be 35 bucks. Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, no. No. I'm just trying to lay it out. Hey, here's different levels. Here's different steps that possibly you could take. Next one. Launch an orphan ministry. Launch it. I've got books in my office. I shared this with people at our last church. Boom, they did it. Some people even adopted. I have no idea what God's doing in your hearts. Even if you're a young person and you're still one, huh? Maybe this is something that God's going to be stirring in your heart later on. Maybe you might be older and thinking, huh, no way, man, I already done that. I... Shirley and I, we, we knew a couple, they were in their 70s, and they were respite care for infants, and at different times they'd have six or seven infants in their house because these were crack babies. These were drug babies. 
fetal alcohol syndrome babies, abandoned babies. So age doesn't get us off the hook. Um, a Mephi Bassett, we have an orphanage that we support down in Mexicali, and, and guess what? Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to continue to support it. I'm just telling you honestly. Because we don't have anybody who's willing to say, hey, I, I'll take that on. Maybe that's something that God might be impressing on your heart. There's 40-some kids down there. Grandmother Gloria, we support that ministry financially. But we don't want to just be a financial place that just gives money out. We want to have relationships. And then finally, I have their foster adoption. Look into the possibility of fostering or adopting. Uh, support others who are fostering or adopting. There are ministries that are set up so that people can contribute to help somebody who's doing adoption. Because depending on how you do adoption, it can be very expensive. There are others who set up a ministry of, of care so they provide babysitting, child care. So that those adoptive or foster parents kind of have a little break. Now, I just landed here just because this is one area there are hundreds of ministries that God could be tugging on your heart. So I'm not trying to make this like the, oh, wow, you have to do this, and oh, if you don't, uh, you know, I hope you feel so guilty. That's not what this is about at all. So if you're thinking that, you have not read me correctly. I could have chosen any other one, but guess what? Because today is Orphan Sunday, and because... God has rescued me, an orphan, and he's rescued you. If we've accepted Jesus Christ by faith, men and women, you are sons and daughters, adopted sons and daughters of the Father. There is so much more I could say but I better end I don't know what it is that God's doing in your heart I don't know what he might be saying to you but my challenge is this would you please listen and wrestle with it we have a, a tremendous need for workers in our children's ministry we have a, a need for people to come on in in our youth ministry. You could talk to Camille or Shelly or Patrick. That's just right here. We have a tremendous need to reach out to our community. I'm going to share with you just a little brag thing. Uh, Jeff and Jonathan... Uh, co-lead our worship team and, and they do a great job and they have tremendous volunteers in the tech and, and that play and that sing and um, in, in Rancho Santa Margarita uh, our church was recognized, kick the water bottle over, good thing it's closed our church was recognized as having the best worship in RSM it's kind of cool yeah it's, it's kind of cool now, they don't do it 
so that they could be recognized for it. But it's kind of cool that, wow, how'd that happen? Because they're good. And because they're all about worshiping God themselves. And if they do that, then they're hoping that that just transfers over to us and that we'll want to join them. So whatever it is God's putting on your heart to do, to be involved in, remember, that's not going to save you. That's not going to put you any higher on this okay with God. All that's going to do is say, yeah, it proves that you have a genuine faith. And it shows that you don't want to be dormant. I don't believe there's any such thing as a dormant Christian. If there is, show that to me in Scripture. Sola Scriptura. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word, the power of your word, the fact that we are justified, that we are made righteous, all because of Jesus. And it's nothing that we can claim on our own. We are just beggars with our empty hand open to receive your grace. So Lord, however you're going to work in each of our hearts, Father, my prayer is that we will not be the same next week. Lord, that's, that's, that's what happens to churches that die. Father God, I ask that you would infuse us and stir our hearts and don't just fight the nudging but to embrace it and pray and seek you as far as how you want us to, to serve. So I thank you for your word. I thank you for this body but more than anything else, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes living